Come on up. I don't want to call anyone out, but if there are other young kiddos, let's try to sit down here. You can sit behind me, Augie. That's fine. That's good. That's good. That's okay. Augie is most comfortable in the shelter of his mother's shadow, and that's okay. And here's Olivia. Hi. Hi. Come on in, Daniel. Why don't you sit by Angie so you can see me as I'm reading? There we go. Can you can you sit with Angie? Kathy is gonna sit. We're gonna try to make it easier for y'all to see everything. You're okay right there. Hi, kiddos. Hi, hi, everyone at home. We hope we have some some of our friends at home participating with us today. We are going to tell a story about promises. So I want to ask you some questions this morning. Okay. Here are my questions. Do you ever make promises? Natalie? Daniel? Chris, do you ever make promises? Do you ever promise to eat your vegetables? Yes? No? (laughs) Some of them do, some of them don't. Do you ever promise to be nice to your siblings and kind at school? Yeah? Okay. So what happens when you break those promises? Do you ever break them? What happens when we break promises? We're going <laughs> to, he just cut right to the heart of the matter. Chris just said, when you break promises, you can't earn people's trust. Well, we are going to, that's a really good answer. And we're going to read a story about promises that God makes to us. It's a story about Noah and the ark. Do you all know the story? Yeah. So Miss Angie has the book there. You can look at the pictures while I read the story. Are you ready? You ready to hear the story? So remember last week we talked about Cain and Abel, two brothers that fought with each other. So the story continues today with before long, people started fighting and hurting one another terribly. And God wept. God cried that they were not enjoying the lovely earth that God had made. Finally, God said, I must make a new beginning. So I will send a flood to cover the whole earth. But one man, it's okay, one man, Noah, was kind and did what was right. And God told Noah, it's okay, Augie, it's okay. God told Noah to build a big boat. What was the boat called? An ark. Yes, an ark. So Noah built the ark. And God said, gather all of your family into every kind of animal, every bird, and even every insect. And then God sent rain. Do you like to play in the rain? God sent rain. Yes, God sent rain. And let and Noah led everyone and all the animals into the ark for 40 days and for 40 nights. And it rained so hard that the water covered even the highest mountains. And boy, did it smell in the ark. It smelled like animals. And it was noisy, the roaring and the baying and the neighing and the mooing. But everybody got along amazingly. Even the lion lay down with the lamb. And the rain stopped at last. And Noah sent a dove in search of the land. And when the bird returned with an olive leaf, proof that there were trees out there, Noah and the whole family rejoiced and cheered. Noah thanked God for saving them. And God, whoo, God told Noah, I promise, this is important, this is the promise. Are you, are you listening? Yes. 
God said, I promise never to send another flood to cover the whole earth. And what was the sign of God's promise? The rainbow. A beautiful rainbow so people would never forget the promise. So Miss Auntie is wearing Miss Destiny's rainbow coat to show us about the rainbow. Yes, yeah, so I do have something for you. And Olivia is modeling what we have here. But first I want to ask you, why was God sad? Why was God sad in the story? Do you remember, Daniel, why God was sad? Because the people were being mean to each other. Why was God happy with Noah? Because Noah was kind. And why did God want to save all of the animals and all of the people, Noah and his family? Why did God want to save them? Right, because he loved Noah, and he wanted the earth to be reborn in that way. So what is the sign of God's promise? What's the sign of God's promise? That's our job, yes. And the sign that God will never flood the earth again is the rainbow. So I have personal rainbows for you that Miss Angie has made. You can each take one. Angie, do you want to show them how it works? Watch Angie. That's okay. I'll hold one up for the camera. Here you go, Daniel. So when you spread it all out, you can draw your name in it, or you can draw a sign of a heart, and you can remember every time you see a rainbow that God loves you. Does that sound good? Yes, we can keep it. Okay, so we're going to pray together now as we remember God's promises for us. God's promises for us. So let us pray. Repeat after me. Everybody, even the big people, repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for rainbows and for keeping your promise to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And let's all say the Lord's Prayer together. Ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. So now you may go to Sunday school or sit with your parents or keep keep participating online as we move into the sermon. Olivia needs another one. Let's give the kiddos a round of applause. right. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we are in this sermon series that we are calling the stories that made us. And in this series, we are really trying to incorporate the kids in these stories that many of us learned as kids. So the reading of the story from the storybook with the kids and our interaction with them, that becomes for us in these weeks, the reading of God's word. So I say to you, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, 
and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for those of you who don't know me, whether you are here in the sanctuary or worshiping in your homes or elsewhere online, I am Amy Wilson-Feltz. I am the pastor here at Morningstar and delighted to be so. I have been a pastor for 13 years or so, and part of what I love about being a pastor is engaging in the community. So several years ago, I was invited at the church where I was serving to coordinate a community event for the parents and the students of the local elementary school. So I formed a team and we had a lot of fun working with the teachers and the parents to put on a spring festival for the end of the year for this particular school for hundreds of our neighbors. And on the night of the big event, you guessed it, it rained, right? This was in Abilene, Texas. And Abilene doesn't get much rain, more than Las Cruces. Abilene gets about 26 inches. I have a graphic here, actually. 26 inches a year. Las Cruces gets 10, if we're fortunate. And the national average is 38 inches. So both are well under. So rain is so rarely a factor in Abilene that when we're planning big events outdoors, the contingency plan is usually just to hope that it doesn't rain. But on the night of this big event, it did rain, and we saw it coming. We knew this was going to happen in the moments before the storm arrived because there were big storm clouds, and the winds were gusting, and the air felt heavy. It was imminent, so we were trying to make plans in that moment, and that's when the president of the Parent Teacher Association came up to me and said, Amy, you're the pastor here. Can you just pray that the rain will hold off until the event is over? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. We were in a drought, as we so often are. We need rain in this part of the world. The ground is always so parched. I couldn't pray against the rain. First of all, why do people think God listens to pastors more than God listens to other people? I can tell you that that is just not true. But we pray for rain so often that I couldn't pray that it would hold off. We can go a long time praying for rain, days, weeks, months without a drop. And what happens when it does rain? We give thanks, certainly. But if it lasts too long, we start to wish that it will go away, to come back another day, as my kids sing. We start hoping that the sun will come back up. We want to rush to the rainbow without enduring the rain. Well, our passage for today tells the story of Noah and the ark. And if you want to read it in your favorite translation, you can look it up in chapters 6 through 8 in Genesis. And I hope that you'll do that this week. It's a famous story, much like the others that we have read during this worship series, The Stories That Made Us, A Childlike Look at Faith. People who've never read the Bible or set foot in a church know this story just as they know the stories of creation and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, which we have read in the past few weeks. Nurseries around the world and houses of people with various religious affiliations are decorated with big boats and cute animals and tidy rainbows. Even one of our kids' rooms here at the church has been stunningly decorated in this theme by our children's minister, Angie. 
We tell and retell this story in so many ways. Dozens of movies have been made about the big flood, both animated and live action. The movie Noah starring Russell Crowe in 2014 and Evan Almighty in 2007, which is one of my personal favorites, each grossed $100 million at the box office. And we know it was not only Christians who were buying those tickets, right? It's a compelling story. An angry God, the threat of destruction, one family to be spared and charged with saving all of the species on earth, the construction of a giant vessel to keep them safe, rain for 40 days and 40 nights, the drowning of the rest of creation. Verses 23 and 24 from chapter 7 spell it out for us. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds were wiped from the earth. And only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. When... When, beloved, did this epic tale of sin and salvation become a lovable children's story? My guess is pretty early on. This story has been told in one form or another, in generation to generation, in various cultures, some even predating our holy text. And rather than seem confusing to us, I would encourage us to see that truth as making the story relatable. It's not any less true, it's relatable, because it communicates so much more than history. This is a story about human nature. It's a story about human courage. It's a tale about God's expectation, God's disappointment, God's anger, and God's grace. We do find grace in this story, because that's what we're told about Noah earlier in Genesis, that he finds favor, he finds grace in God, with God, at a time when, as Desmond Tutu says from our storybook Bible, people were fighting and hurting each other terribly. Now, Christians in medieval times view this fighting among humanity, the the conflict as sexual sin, as disregard for the sanctity of human bodies, In Judaism, these crimes against humanity are generally considered to be theft or robbery, a breakdown of unity among the human people, a destruction of solidarity among humanity. Either way, it's against this background, which sounds pretty familiar to us today, unfortunately, that God wrapped Noah up in the grace that took the shape of a waterproof vessel, Now, there's some question as to whether Noah really was worthy of that grace. Many of us who grew up hearing this story have been taught to see Noah as righteous, the perfect image of righteousness, in fact. And certainly, he showed obedience to God in building the ark and in getting in it with his family and the animals. But he was a member of the flood generation, after all. That's what scholars and teachers tell us. So maybe he wasn't such a good guy, but merely the best choice available. Maybe it wasn't so much that he 
wasn't a bad guy, but simply that he was not as bad as everyone else, some traditions say. Now, the point of considering the reality of Noah's very human nature is not to disparage him, but to relate to him. So maybe Noah wasn't perfect. Likely not. Even so, God saw in him the ability to look beyond himself, the ability to work on behalf of people and animals in his care, the ability to trust God in the most desperate of situations. And Noah did trust God at least enough to follow instructions. Even so, can you imagine when the rain started falling and Noah was sealed in that ark with his entire family and some of every animal ever created that he prayed for the rain to stop? How long must those 40 days and 40 nights have been for him? Well, longer than we might think. The number 40 appears quite often in our Bible, always serving as a designator for a really long time. Some of these occurrences in our text may be familiar to you, like these 40 days of the flood, but also the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness after the escape from Egypt, the 40 days and nights that Moses spent on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness before his ministry became public. All of these expressions of time serve as markers on a journey, a time of wandering, a time of wondering, where is God? What is God doing? And certainly in the case of Noah and the ark, why would God do such a thing? What is the good news, in other words? Well, in this story, the good news is in the ark, The good news is in the ark, in the noise, and in the odor, and in the body heat. It's in the hope that the story isn't over, that there's more to come. That was Noah's hope, and he didn't even know about the rainbow yet. He didn't have the promise of God to which we cling so tightly that the world will never be destroyed by flood again, but he did have the ark. The ark he was instructed to build, the ark he was instructed to To fill the ark that began floating as perhaps 12.5 inches of rain fell every minute until the water covered the world. 40 days and 40 nights, a really long time. And as the rains came down and the floods came up, surely hope sprang up with the rain inside the ark, inside the shelter from the storm that God provided through Noah's obedience in the middle of the storm itself. Beloved, this is the really good news, especially in a time in our world when things seem upside down and we're dealing with the realities of sin and the need for salvation of biblical proportions. Our tendency as human beings is to focus on the promise of the rainbow and who could blame us. Did y'all see the rainbow on Wednesday? On Facebook, I saw so many stunning photos of the rainbow that shone over Las Cruces, many of them taken by members of this congregation. We want to celebrate the rainbow, and we should, but there's also something to be learned from the flood itself, starting perhaps with 
its purpose. We often look at the flood as an instrument of destruction, and that certainly was part of what was going on in this story. But if destruction had been the entire purpose, then not even Noah and his family would have been spared. The purpose of the flood, beloved, as it's been been interpreted over the years, was cleansing, renewal, rebirth. So I want you to think about that as we take a little walk over here to our table. This is our communion table, our altar table. We celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion here every week. We also celebrate baptisms in this space with this sign of water. And water is found throughout our biblical text in the flood story, in the parting of the Red Sea, in the growing of Jesus in the womb of Mary, in his birth, in his baptism, in the baptism of all who would follow him. We think about the power of the water. Listen and watch if you can, if you can see in here. Water is powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful in our lives, and it's powerful in our story, in our biblical story, and in our text. And in the United Methodist tradition, it plays a really important role in our identity. There's a beautiful prayer in our baptismal liturgy that speaks to this. And I want to read it to you this morning. I invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. Keep them open if that's what you prefer. But listen to this language as we pray, Eternal God, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth life. You saved those in the ark through water. You led your people to freedom Through the sea, you nurtured Jesus in the water of the womb. He was baptized and anointed by your spirit. And you call his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Beloved, these words arranged in this way reveal the faithfulness of God to the people of God the faithfulness of God to the people of God, because water is a sign of our identity, a sign that we can expect God's presence with us and God's work within us and the realities of the storms in which we find ourselves. That's one reason that we in the United Methodist Church and in other traditions like ours baptize infants as well as older children and adults. Obviously, babies can't make professions of faith for themselves. They don't know, most of them, the realities of the storms of life yet. They don't know the agony of the rain, but they already have a place in the family of God. They can already experience the grace that God offers because of the hope that their guardians place in the God of creation, the God of deliverance, the God of new life, the God who shows up in the water and in the ark. We can say thanks be to God for that. 
Because I don't think we could help but notice that it's raining pretty hard right now in our world and in our lives. We're in something like day 530 of our current pandemic storm, and the rains are still falling. In fact, the storms, they keep coming one right after the other, quite literally for our friends and family who live on the Gulf and East Coast. In Las Cruces, we've received about five inches of rain so far this year. But our tears could make up the difference. We're in the middle of the storm, beloved, in so many ways. And yes, we can hold tight to the promise of the rainbow, but we can also find safety in the ark. It doesn't mean that we won't deal with the effects of the storm. It doesn't mean that we won't feel pain. But it does mean that we can find shelter and comfort and safety with each other. And that's the lesson of the story. It's the invitation that we find to place as much expectation on the waters of the flood as we do on the rainbow. I want to explain a little bit more here. We have been taught over the years even as children, to emphasize the beauty and the promise of this vibrant array of colors, to wonder at it all, to view it as a sign of God's faithfulness, God's care for us, God's protection of us, God's promise that we will make it to the other side one way or another. And we need this sign because it fuels our hope that the storms will not last forever. But we put so much pressure on this colorful rainbow because we want the rain to stop. We want the skies to clear. We want to hold our celebrations without interference. We want to be together inside and outside of the building. We want to eat together. We want to play together. We want to enjoy each other's company without restrictions, without distance, without barriers. And despite my hesitation that day under the storm clouds in Abilene, Texas, it really is okay to pray for the rain to stop. We want our suffering and the suffering of others to cease. We want a piece of the rainbow and the good news that it brings. But what I'm saying this morning is that even better news can be found in the sign of the water itself the sign of our baptism, the sign that we are the children of God. And that identity, that security is the real gift of grace. Maybe Noah wasn't worthy of it. Neither are we, and that's the point. That's what makes grace a gift. It's something that we do not deserve and cannot earn, given to us because of who God is. And who God is is what makes us who we are. And that's what we celebrate in our baptism. That's what we can be reminded of every time we hear the rain hit the windows, every time we see the waters gush through our streets, every time the warm water of a shower or a bath hits our skin, every time we gulp water to quench our thirst, every time a tear slides down our cheek. Our God is with us. We are the children of God, thanks be to God. And that is our invitation for this week. It's a simple one. To say to ourselves every time 
our bodies are cleansed by water. Every time we wash our hands, every time we take a drink of water, every time we feel the wetness on our cheeks to say to ourselves, I am a child of God. Thanks be to God. This is what we do in baptism. We can even put our names right in there. For example, I am Amy Wilson Feltz, a child of God. Thanks be to God. It may seem strange to talk about our daily hygiene habits at church, but this is one of those places that we find common ground. We all need water to live, to be clean, to be born, just like everyone else. And in this way, we are connected to each other. We are connected to the earth. We are connected to the God who created it all. So it's in our shared need of water, beloved, that we rediscover that we are safe in the shelter of God's grace until the storm passes. And though God may not cause the storm, God certainly uses storms to make us new. And if we trust in the sign of the water, even amid the big floods in our lives, then the sight of the rainbow will be that much more meaningful when it appears. Amen? Amen.